my son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. This episode is brought to you by AARP. 18 years from tonight, Grant Gill will become a comedy legend when he totally kills it at his improv class's graduation performance. Knees will be slapped. Hilarity will ensue. That's why he's already keeping himself in shape and razor sharp today with wellness tips and tools from AARP to help make sure his health lives as long as he does. Because the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash healthy living. Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joes, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses, plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome to the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast, where we invite you into a journey of healing and personal transformation that will radically change your divorce experience, heal your heart while refining your character, and set you up to be effective and feel empowered as you navigate the practical and emotional challenges of divorce. I'm your host, Karen McMahon, founder of Journey Beyond Divorce. My divorce brought me to my knees, and it also transformed me and set me on this path to help you. Our team of JBD coaches support men and women to engage in divorce with more calm, clarity, and confidence. Through our one-on-one -on -one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Oftentimes, parenting agreements will be very detailed about the role of the parenting coordinator. And so you really would want in your agreement to make sure that it's Everything is spelled out. It's spelled out um, how the parent coordinator will be chosen. Um, sometimes you want to spell out um, how long the, you know, you and your uh, child's other parent have to choose a parent coordinator because one person can 
can um, kind of hijack the process of choosing the parent coordinator. So, you know, you want to, if you need one, you want to make sure that it's possible to get a parenting coordinator in place. And then you want to know what is the, uh, um, the range of authority of the parent coordinator, because that can really be defined in your agreement. Welcome back to our series on high-conflict divorce as we continue chatting with child-centered professionals. Today, we learn about the role of the parent coordinator. Parent coordinators, as I've learned, can be lawyers, mediators, or mental health experts. Their role is to help high-conflict co-parents learn how to make the best decision for their children. And when the co-parents can't, the parent coordinator can provide an opinion. Today, our guest shares what parent coordinators do, when to bring them into your divorce process, the questions to ask to ensure that you hire the best expert given your needs, and so much more. I'm thrilled to introduce Dr. Lauren Berman, who has her PhD in clinical psychology and has been in private practice since 1985. Lauren has considerable professional experience in treating children and families of divorce. Lauren is trained in high-conflict co-parenting counseling, parent coordination, interdisciplinary collaborative divorce practice, and mediation. And Dr. Berman also co-authored a book titled Loving Your Children More Than You Hate Each Other, which is a book for high-conflict divorcing parents and was published in 2018. Welcome, Lauren. Thank you, Karen. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. And, you know, when you and I were speaking earlier, one of the things that you had said was the more our listeners know about the role of a parent coordinator, the more input they'll have into the details of the settlement agreement that references parent coordination um, and that will be able to serve their needs. And so I'm really excited about going through all of the details of what a parent coordinator is and what our listeners uh, need to know to have the best possible experience. So let's just dive right in. Uh, and start with the basics. Can you describe what a parent coordinator is? Uh, sure, Karen. A uh, parent coordinator is a professional, a mental health professional or an attorney who's specifically trained in parent coordination and deals with conflict management for divorcing and post-divorce parents. Um, the parent coordinator helps with the implementation and clarification of the parenting plan post-divorce and uh, helps facilitate resolution of disagreements for, that parents have about the details of the plan and anything that's not covered by the parenting plan. Uh, parent coordination is a form of alternative dispute resolution. Can you explain how that is, that it's an alternative? how it is an alternative dispute resolution, say, as opposed to a therapeutic intervention. Um, dispute resolution 
in the sense that we don't go to court. We, we work this out essentially out of court in a mediated kind of forum. And um, most parent coordinators do have mediation training. Okay, so of course our audience is uh, going through what they at least consider to be high conflict, uh, a high conflict divorce, and the people listening to this program have children, and so one of the concerns is how am I going to make decisions and navigate the variety of issues that come up that where where you, the listener, and your spouse may disagree. And what I hear you saying, Lauren, is this is, as a parent coordinator, you come in, you listen to both parties, and you, you mediate in a way to help them come to resolution. Is that, is that accurate? Um, that's accurate, except there is something else in there, which is there is a parenting agreement. So in other words, we're not mediating um, in a vacuum. We are looking at that agreement that has either been stipulated between them or has been, um, been become a court order. Um, and then we are using the agreement as a framework to be able to help resolve conflict. Um, you know, parenting agreements can't really... Um, cover every single thing that could possibly come up, you know, over the course of, you know, many years of a child's minority. Right. And I would imagine uh, with so many people having uh, joint decision-making that with high conflict, that would be a key area where someone like you could be incredibly valuable. Um, Absolutely. I think more and more parents who are um, either negotiating a, you know, joint joint custody, which is really about decision-making, joint parental custody, are needing somebody to be there in, in the event that they aren't able to come to a decision on a major issue together. Absolutely. And before we go any further, I think an important question is what isn't parent coordinating? So we're saying what it is. What isn't so that people aren't thinking they're going to use this individual for the wrong reason? Right. Great question. I really appreciate that because parenting coordination is not therapy. It's not counseling and it's not legal representation. So even though your parent coordinator may be a mental health professional, it is very distinguishable from therapy or counseling. And even if your parent coordinator is an attorney PC, that person, that parent coordinator is not representing either party legally. Um, Parenting coordination does not result in a custody or visitation evaluation. So the parent coordinator is not, um, a forensic evaluator is not making any kind of a, um, you know, an evaluation of parenting. And the parenting coordinator cannot change roles into that of an advocate or of a therapist for anybody in the family. 
So if you are hired to help resolve disputes, that alternative dispute resolution that you spoke about, then that's your role as those parents begin to co-parent post-divorce, they come to you when there are issues that they can't resolve themselves and you help in that process. Exactly. Perfect. That's, that's exactly it. Now, before we go on, that statement I made earlier that you had shared with me, having input into the details of the settlement agreement, can you speak, before we go into all the detail of what you, you do, can you speak to... Uh, to, how do I want to ask this? What would you say to our listeners who haven't yet created a settlement, who know they're going to have difficulties with their soon-to-be ex? What would you say to them about how they should talk to their attorney and craft the settlement agreement to include a parent coordinator? Good question. Again, excellent question. So I think it would be important for your listeners to know that these oftentimes parenting agreements will be very detailed about the role of the parenting coordinator. And so you really would want in your agreement to make sure that it's everything is spelled out. It's spelled out. Um, how the parent coordinator will be chosen. Um, sometimes you want to spell out um, how long the, you know, you and your uh, child's other parent have to choose a parent coordinator because one person can, can um, kind of hijack the process of choosing the parent coordinator. So, you know, you want to, if you need one, you want to make sure that it's possible to get a parenting coordinator in place. And then you want to know what is the, um, the range of authority of the parent coordinator, because that can really be defined in your agreement. So you can have a rule, for example, like after um, X number of conversations about an issue, you'll see a PC. And then if there's no progress, um, either person can go to court or uh, you want to define if your parent coordinator has what's called tie-breaking authority, where if the two of you cannot agree and, you know, there's been an investigation of, of what the issue is, that the parent coordinator can make a binding recommendation. This can be in your agreement. So um, you could also have in your agreement uh, that if the parent who agrees with the recommendation of the parent coordinator can have decision-making authority for that decision. Um, but you really want to be clear about the scope of authority for the parent coordinator to include a clear de definition of the issues that will be dealt with, the length of the commitment, um, the fees, and how they're going to be paid. So are they going to be split 50-50? Is one person going to pay in the entirety? Or will they be paid on a pro rata basis uh, consistent with how you might pay for your um, unreimbursed medical and you know, other kinds of pro rata fees? Um, you want to also um, have in the, the parent coordinator's um, agreement with you 
um, what the scope, the, the kind of uh, limits of confidentiality and whether or not the parent co coordinator can provide testimony if there's a subsequent um, uh, action, legal action. So that last one, and this is so helpful because I think if you're listening and you're thinking, I'm going to need a parent coordinator, knowing that you want to have all of this detail written into your divorce settlement agreement as opposed to, oh, we'll just hire a parent coordinator afterwards. Right. That this is, I think this is worth the price of admission right here, what you just said. Now, I just want to clarify that last piece. Were you talking about a separate agreement in the parent coordinator agreement, the limits of confidentiality, or would that also be part of the settlement the divorce settlement agreement? Um, it could be part of your divorce agreement, but generally, generally it is part of the separate retainer agreement of the parent coordinator with the, with, you know, the, the parents. Okay. So let's hold off on that then. Cause I, I want to get to that a little bit later. Um, so this is great. Is there anything that you didn't touch on before we move on to my next question? Um, no, well, there's one, there's one thing, Karen, you know, sometimes I have seen, um, I've seen parenting agreements that lay out a, um, a schedule for the parents to meet with the parenting coordinator, like once every three months or two times a year or six times a year, whatever. And oftentimes those kind of, um, th that language in your agreement can tie the hands of the parent coordinator because um, it may create um, too much of a, uh, a barrier to deal with issues as they come up. You know, so if, if the agreement says, you know, you should meet with the parent coordinator twice over the course of a year or something. Well, if, if something comes up and it's, it's um, that one parent would have the um, right to say, well, you know, we're not supposed to meet with the parent coordinator except for twice a year. Right. So, so you, you don't so want it. You don't want it to tie the hands of the parent coordinator. Right. And so I would say to the listeners, if you want to have a certain number of visits on the schedule. Talk to your attorney so that those visits don't preclude other issues coming up and being able to schedule. So that's a great point. So just if you're listening and this is something, a path you're going to be going down, definitely talk to your attorney about it so that you can have the flexibility that you need along with the, the structure that you're looking for. Um, okay, great. So when does the parenting coordinator come into the picture? Well, that's also a really good question, Karen, because the parent coordinator typically would come into the picture post-divorce. When there is a parenting plan already stipulated to, or there's a judgment that has, you know, it has come through litigation. However, over time, um, what we're seeing is more and more um, 
attorneys asking or judges asking for parent coordinator to be involved in pet, you know, during the pendency of the litigation. Because the truth is that families need to be able to function in the midst of, of a litigation. And parents who are litigating and are in high conflict oftentimes can't talk to each other, and yet they still need to parent their children. So, um, you know, parent coordinators are being used more and more, even in the midst of the litigation. You know, that makes so much sense, especially with these divorces, the high conflict ones that can go on for rather lengthy periods of time. And and I'm curious, so if that's the case, if you've got this, this drawn out case and you're struggling with making the kinds of decisions that your kids need, uh, how does that, a judge or an attorney suggesting you get involved during the case, how does that impact everything we just talked about in terms of the settlement agreement, or does it? Well, in the best case scenario, the best case scenario, the parent coordinator can come in and actually help resolve issues that are are being litigated so that the parents actually make their own agreement about certain issues. Um, For example, in a um, matter that I've been working on, there is there was a question of a child um, going to preschool or not. You know, particularly during a COVID, um, you know, in the COVID world, and this was being actively litigated by attorneys. But as a parent coordinator, if I could get parents to actually talk about what was important to them in terms of and what their concerns were in terms of a child, their child going to school and get them to make an agreement, that piece of the litigation didn't have to continue. You know, Lauren, as I'm listening to you, it sounds like in many of these cases, it would be really valuable. It's almost as if you're coming in and mediating, helping them mediate on the 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 present day issues while they're also negotiating on the more long term settlement. And what I'm hearing you say is if you can come in and help parents get to the heart of what's important to them and why they're let's say, holding their position, that Mm -hmm. might actually avoid some of Mm -hmm. the post-divorce challenges. Am I I hearing that correctly? You are hearing that correctly. It also may shorten the litigation because the parents have worked out these issues that the attorneys have not been able to work out. Because one of the, I mean, I am a trained mediator as well as a child specialist. And a clinical psychologist, so I'm able to help parents have productive conversations about difficult issues or difficult decisions and help keep the focus on understanding where each person is coming from and what's most important to them, what are their concerns, and talk about it from the perspective of their children with a child development mindset 
rather than having them fight about positions. Right, right. I'm hearing that so loud and clear. And so I'm going to go down a path I did not know existed, but here we go. So the last few experts that I've shared with uh, my listeners are uh, an attorney for the children and a custody evaluator. Uh-huh. And so I'm curious, let's assume we're dealing with high conflict. So all these parties are involved. And then the parents say, let's, let's get this PC, this parent coordinator involved for the here and now. Uh, what impact does that have on the other professionals or what role or connection do you all have with each other? Well, very often um, the attorney for the the child will be, um, you know, a collaborator with the parent coordinator. The attorney for the child can... um, you know, the parent coordinator may be able to in a way that is helpful for the attorney for the child to help also resolve um, resolve those issues. Now, the forensic evaluator may um, request and have uh, what's called a HIPAA release. So, you know, there's a release that the parenting coordinator can have a conversation with the forensic evaluator if requested. Um, One also, as a parent coordinator, would need a release between oneself and um, and the attorney for the child. Okay. Okay, so you're listening in. If this sounds like something that would be valuable for you, by all means, uh, speak to your attorney and see whether or not this is something that you could put in place. Calming the chaos of divorce begins with quieting your mind and getting clear on what you want and how to get it. That's why we created the Divorce Survival Kit. It's an easy to digest guide with five essential tips that help transform your suffering into valuable insights and your confusion into effective action. So go to divorcerecoverylifeline.com and grab your Divorce Survival Kit today. Let's you and I, uh, Lauren, move on to a couple realizes they're going to need a parent coordinator. Uh, Maybe they engage that person during the case. Uh, Hopefully they talk to their attorneys and put some wording in the settlement that that is helpful, as you described. Who decides on who the parent coordinator is going to be? Well, that also can be um, parents who, depending upon, you know, if they're in conflict or not, um, if they are in very high conflict, you know, maybe moms 
attorney will suggest two or three people and dad's attorney will suggest two or three people and mom and dad will both um, interview those people and maybe uh, if they're lucky, they can agree upon one or two people that they, they, they want to uh, meet with. Um, sometimes a judge will make recommendations based on their understanding of the case and their knowledge of who's practicing in the field. Um, because it really, there really are a handful of very trained parent coordinators, you know, very experienced parent coordinators in, I think, any locality. There's certainly, um, you know, in New York City where I practice, uh, I, I, I could tell you that probably, I don't know, there's less than two dozen well-trained, well, very experienced parent coordinators. So then, which is a perfect segue into my next question. Uh, so someone's on the edge of their seat. They're thinking, oh my goodness, I'm absolutely going to need this professional. Can you give us a handful of questions that parents want to ask or things that they want to look for in determining whether or not the parent coordinator they're talking to is right, a good fit for them? Okay, of course. So you might want to ask... Um, the parent coordinator uh, about the training they have in parent coordination. Um, when did they get that training? How many cases have you had? How many years are you practicing? Um, what is your, the average length of your work with a family? Um, if children need to be seen as part of the issues that you, you're deciding, would you see the children? Um, what is the focus of their work? Uh, do they work by retainer agreement? Can you see their agreement? What are their fees? Um, those are some questions. I would also ask whether they have mediation training. You want to know if you're dealing with a mental health parent coordinator or a legal parent coordinator. Uh, so and then... What is the training that you have as a parent coordinator? What's that foundation of knowledge that our listeners will be relying on? Parent coordination training, two separate trainings. One, a basic parent coordination training, and then subsequently an advanced parent coordination training. And in the parent coordination training, uh, one is really goes deeply into uh, issues having to do with the scope of, of working as a parent coordinator, how to, you know, what the boundaries are, what the role is, um, what is the interaction with the, the law, um, what kind of issues and decisions you're involved with, short answer. Karen, not every parent coordinator comes from the same background, okay? So I had training as a child specialist <clears throat> based on all of my clinical work. 
and and um, that I'd done over the you know 35 years of my career. But some parent coordinators, like a legal parent coordinator, may not have that kind of child development conflict resolution, you know, family systems, and um, and you know, mental health and understanding of personality and family dynamics that a mental health parent coordinator may come with. So, so this is, let me ask you this, because I know that you're, so you have the mental health background and you may have a leaning toward that, but as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking if I'm in a high conflict divorce and my soon to be ex might have be on some spectrum or another in terms of disorders, I want to have someone with that keen knowledge of mental health and maybe child development in making those decisions. And so so that's my thought. And I guess I want to ask you, what is your opinion of the value of having someone with a mental health background versus someone with uh, just the legal or mediation background? You know, I really think, obviously, I have a, um, I have a, a bias, a bias um, that I, I find that that is really helpful for mental health professional uh, to be involved, especially when there are children with special needs and there are parenting issues and, um, there, there are child development issues. But when there are only compliance issues, an attorney uh, can be very effective as well. And many of the attorneys who are doing uh, parent coordination are attorneys who've represented children. They've been the attorney for the minor child. So they also may have an appreciation of some of the you know, nuances of um, child development. Right. But you, you do want to be, you do want to be uh, mindful of the background of the parenting coordinator that you choose. And I'm hearing, like, depending on your issue, if you know you're going to primarily have compliant issues, that mental health uh, background may be less important than um, for someone who knows that they're going to be dealing with other psychological issues. Right. I mean, so the compliance issues may have to do with um, things like uh, scheduling becomes a problem or the parent doesn't return the child at the end of their parenting time. You know, those kind of issues. Um, An attorney... PC may be more, um, you know, more appropriate fit. Perfect. So let's move along here. What are the functions of a parent coordinator? Like, how are you used by parents once they're engaging with you? You had said facilitate decision-making. Just a little bit more detail on that. Okay. So um, you want to... um, help clarify court orders to resolve any ambiguity in the orders. Um, 
you might want to help parents calendar in advance to handle problems before they arise, uh, to manage the uh, roles of co-parents, to set in place protocols for roles when um, a family has repartnered, you know, where there's a step parent involved. Um, I, there, you know, there are many, many ways that we work. Um, I also, I, I'm also personally trained as a co-parent counselor as well. Um, which is another kind of co-parent work that one can do. It's not exactly the same as parent coordination, but I often, as a parent coordinator, will, um, will offer parents the, uh, the work in developing skills, co-parent communication skills, at the very outset of our work together. Um, but parent coordinators really help. They help facilitate decision-making when parents don't agree and also facilitate conversations and dialogue about parenting issues. And they assess needs of the family, coach and educate parents, help resolve conflict, um, establish structure and protocols like how parents are going to communicate, right. um, how they're going to identify and address issues. Um, all of that. Yeah, and I just want to say to those listening, I mean, one of the things that I've just seen over and over again is people spend like oodles of time and money and then they have a settlement agreement and they go home and the judge isn't involved anymore, the attorneys aren't involved anymore and you're still dealing with the same personality and so a lot of the same struggles come up or somebody's not complying, like you said, and then you don't want to go back to court. You don't want to spend thousands of dollars more. And and I'm just hearing, Lauren, that your role, it's almost like you're the mortar that can hold everything together post-divorce so that you can stay out of court, keep your kids away from the conflict, and still navigate that, that thorny um, co-parenting, agreeing, being open to communicating with that happens post-divorce. Absolutely, Karen. I find that um, if I do my work as a parent coordinator well, that parents need me less and less because I really like to teach parents how to fish rather than giving them a fish. So I really want them to be able to learn how to operate as co-parents post, you know, post-divorce to recognize this is now their critical role as essentially the co-CEOs of this business. Right. The business being to raise the children that they created, that they love to a healthy maturity, you know, a healthy adulthood. And that really these parents have the power to um, give their children a family at peace or to give their children a family at war. Right. And so what I really try to help to do in my parent coordination work is to front load 
owed the parent coordination with skill building, um, teaching parents how to approach a problem, how to define the problem, how to, um, to recognize what's important to each of them and then brainstorm possible ideas for resolution, how to work together as a team to solve the problem. So, you know, just to give you um, an example that I'm making up, uh, let's say there's a medical concern for one of the children. And uh, they, it may be best handled by a specialist. So I might help the parents if one person is in agreement, we need a specialist, and the other person is um, resistant or reluctant, talk that through. What are your concerns? What are you, what are you um, most worried about? Um, what, would be the, what would be the cost of, you know, not just the financial cost, but the, the um, emotional cost of going forward with this? What is the benefit of the possible benefit of going forward with it? Like really to talk through the issue. And then if they agree, um, if they're still not in agreement, could they have a, a conference call with their pediatrician to hear what their pediatrician has to say? Would they agree to take the recommendation of the pediatrician? And then, you know, to take it one step further, um, can they both do some research to find two or three people that they might consult? And then who's going to call whom? And how are they going to, you know, just what are the logistics around making this decision? And before you know it, people are often shifted from their conflict with each other to working together as a team. Yeah, no, that sounds perfect. And I love the idea of the skill building in the beginning. And, you know, even people, one of the big things I coach uh, my clients post-divorce is, you know, you've been on the battlefield, you've had all your armor on, you're like in the defensive position and it's time to drop all of that, right? It's, mm-hmm. time to, it's like time to put that away and move on with your life and try to engage with your ex without all of that expectation of conflict and hostility. And as people grieve and they, you know, they settle, oftentimes a lot of that goes away. Mm -hmm. And yet we have a lot of clients who are divorcing someone who uh, might be on the bipolar or the borderline personality or the narcissistic spectrum. And so they're wired in such a way that kind of chaos and conflict is not so easy for them to drop. Right. And I'm curious, in those situations, I remember earlier you said something about um, the authority of a PC. So when you're in those situations where you're really dealing with a person who can't necessarily uh, take on those skills and, and stay in that cooperative lane, what are the what are your choices as a PC to... Um, to move those parents to agreement? Well, that might be a situation where you are looking for the parent coordinator to have final uh, tie-breaking authority or where, you know, you have language that the parent who agrees with the parent coordinator will make the final decision. Um, Really, what you want to pay attention to is that the more conflict there is in the system, the more, the better boundaries you need, you know, the more clarification, 
you need in your agreement. Yeah. Um, So it brings us right back to your first statement, which is if you're a high conflict, if you're looking at this person and saying, we don't agree on anything, we've never agreed on anything, he or she, like it's just not possible, then I'm hearing you say all the more vital that your agreement outline uh, what that parent coordinator's role will be and that ability to have that tie-breaking peace as part of the agreement. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So just to stay on that for a second, can we just go over the range of authority of a parent coordinator? Can you give us from the least to the most of what you've experienced? Well, you know, some agreements are very um specific that all the parent coordinator can do is have two or three conversations about an issue. And then if the parents haven't resolved that issue, they can go to court. So that is an uh, example of an agreement that, um, you know, it allows for some conversation, some facilitated conversation, but it doesn't really help to uh, come up with a decision. Mm. Um, on the other end of the spectrum is a, a, an agreement that's very, very um, detailed and deliberate that the parent, coordination, the parent coordinator will have tie-breaking authority if parents cannot reach a decision after X number of sessions. Um, And then, you know, there's everything in the middle. So let me ask you, uh, I I am in New York and I've shared a lot of my story with my listeners. And one of the things 14 years ago when I was going through my divorce and a parent coordinator was being recommended, back then we were told that anything we discussed with the parent coordinator was not confidential and that the parent coordinator could then uh, advise the court. And I think that's changed, at least in New York. So if you could speak to, if you know about other situations in other states, uh, if you just know New York, if you could just speak to that, is that ever a possibility where the parent coordinator has that level of authority? I really just know New York. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know other states. Um, And just in general, all 50 states are different. Yes, I realize that. So so then if all you know is... is So if all you know is New York, uh, I'll just ask the question again. Is there any authority now um, where the parent coordinator would be able to make a recommendation to the court? And is the conversation between you and the parents always confidential? Well, it can't be fully confidential because the parent coordinator could be subpoenaed to come to court. And the parents have to know that. It's at least a part of my agreement that they know that. At the other, on the other hand, in my agreement, I, I want the parenting coordination to be a meeting of parents, not a meeting of adversaries. 
I really want to begin to help parents get beyond the pain and the anguish and the conflict of the whole divorce process. So I um, do have a clause in my agreement that basically says that parents will not use the whatever is said in parenting coordination or anything you know that we've we've uh, agreed upon um, in uh, filing court documents mm -hmm. and I and I um, have in my agreement that I will not go to court uh, but if I'm subpoenaed then I am ordered to to uh, testify then I do have to so if one party or the other is filing something and mm -hmm. they say, we, we want, you're saying, no, my agreement says I won't do that. But if you're called by the court to, then you right. have no choice in the matter. Right. Okay. Although I will say, I will say that a majority, a, a huge majority of my cases never go back to court. And, um, you know, that's something I, I pretty much um, take very seriously, that I'm not looking to have people fight and disagree. I'm looking to help them resolve and make decisions and move forward and yeah. be parents. I'm hearing that. And in fact, for those of you who took notes when we were saying what to ask the parent coordinator when you're interviewing them, I would add that, like how many of your cases go back to court? I mean, that's right. just, you're really just describing the level of success that you have. Um, and so that's a great question to ask anyone you're interviewing. Yeah. One of the um, things that we, that hasn't come out yet in, in your in response to your questions that I just do want to raise, mm -hmm. um, that sometimes parent coordination um, fails. You know, some, some families have a succession of parent coordinators. And, um, you know, perhaps that's also uh, a function of how, how high the conflict is in the family. It may be a function of the... Um, mental health issues in one or both of the parents. Um, and sometimes the parents don't abide by the recommendations of the parent coordinator and they continue to be in conflict. The parent coordinator can become triangulated into the system in a way that's very similar to where the children sit in the middle. Um, and sometimes, you know, parents will blame one another and they have trouble taking personal accountability of the conflict and reducing the conflict. And what um, I and some of my colleagues have put forward is um, another model for families who have failed parent coordination more than once. Um, and that is called a dual parent coordination model. Oh. And it's kind of a... I've never heard of that. Go ahead. Dual parent yeah, coordination. It's kind of a hybrid between a parent coordination and um, what was called the two-coach model of collaborative divorce. In other words, in this dual model, and you can do the dual model on a with two mental health professionals or an interdisciplinary dual model 
Ottawa, where one of the PCs is an attorney and the other is a mental health professional. And in that case, with very high conflict families, the each person has their parent coordinator who is like their parent coach um, and can speak to them off, you know, off the uh, out of the earshot of the other parent about what they may be doing to increase or escalate the conflict and, uh, you know, be reason, reason with them. The two parent coordinators together can make a recommendation so that it doesn't come across if one, you know, that there's any kind of bias or um, that one parent coordinator is triangulated between the two parents. So in very high conflict situations, uh, we've had some success with that. Okay. Um, that that's really a good piece of information. So Lauren, this has been so incredibly helpful. Is there anything we haven't touched on that you would like to say or any final uh, tips or advice that you would like to leave with our listeners? Um, the only thing I would say is uh, you want to make sure that the parent coordinator you work with, um, you feels comfortable for you to work with. Um, some t- and this goes to your last question, Karen. Sometimes you may want to do a separate consult. Although I truly believe that it's better to do that together if it's at all possible, because together you're both hearing the same thing at the same time. Um, right. That does speak to the interpretation each is right. have if they exactly. do it separately. Great point. Right. So... Um, you know, and and like any professional that you're going to work with around sensitive issues, like, uh, you know, a therapist or um, a physician, you, you do want to have a level of trust. Uh, and, a, you know, generally a parent coordinator is able to, you know, to sit in a fairly neutral space and to hear what is critical and important to both parents. Um, but, you know, when people are polarized and in very high conflict, it's not always possible. Right. So this has been so incredibly helpful. Lauren, how can our listeners uh, reach out to you or find you if they're interested? Uh, sure. They can email me at... Uh, Lauren Behrman, L-A-U-R-E-N-B-E-H-R-M-A-N at gmail.com. Um, <clears throat> they can look at my website, Lauren Behrman, Ph.D. Um, dot com. Uh, or they can uh, certainly call my office at 212-799-7921. So, and for those of you listening, all of that information is in the show notes so that you can go to that and uh, peruse Lauren's website or reach out to her via email or phone. Lauren, this has been incredibly helpful and thorough. And I just want to thank you for your time and for sharing your expertise. I think it's going to be incredibly valuable to our listeners. So thank you. Oh, you're very, very welcome. You're very welcome. Thank you for um, inviting me to your podcast, Karen. And I really uh, respect and I think it's wonderful what you're doing in Journey Beyond Divorce. 
because I, I truly believe that everybody who's going through a divorce and post-divorce can use all of the information and input and support they can get is they're doing one of the hardest jobs in the world to parent children, you know, even if you're in a wonderful marriage. And it's so much more critical, you know, when parents are divorced and divorcing to, um, to give their children a family of peace and to protect their childhood memories. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for that. You're and very welcome, Karen. For your listeners, our next episode is going to be coming out uh, in a week. So stay tuned and we will be talking to you then. Thanks for joining us on the Journey Beyond Divorce podcast. I hope you found guidance and encouragement to help you along your journey. If you like my podcast, please take a minute to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. You can also visit us at jbddivorcesupport.com, where our team of coaches support both men and women through our one-on-one coaching, group programs, online courses, and free resources. Stay tuned for our next episode, and I'll talk to you soon. son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus is central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.